thank you, Father, for your word. And we're reading in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through chapter 6, 12. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits, for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gifts and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt for land that for land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useless, useful excuse me, to those for whose sake it is cultivated, receive a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and it is and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope unto the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the challenge uh, of your word. Lord, we know that our hearts need to be stretched and pushed and challenged. And we know that for our own health, uh, we need you to speak into our lives even as uh, we saw that your word is a, a sharp two-edged sword. And so, God, we need that word to pierce us uh, where we are today. Lord, I pray uh, that the comfortable would be afflicted today and that the afflicted would be comforted. God, may your word speak as only it can in Christ's name. Amen. My, uh, my mom's uh, here with us, uh, vacationing now with us, but she actually just got back from a trip to Yellowstone. She's been wanting to do that for a while. Uh, and so uh, one night this week, I sat up and looked at, uh, she showed me through her, the pictures on her phone. I've never been there, but it's a stunning place, really a beautiful thing, beautiful part of the, the country, Yellowstone National Park. And um, one of the things I was amazed by is how close she was to a number of the, the really incredible things including the wildlife. So she has a buffalo, a number of buffalo pictures. This is like right off the side of the road uh, that's like right there. You know, there's herds of buffalo all around, and she's right there next to him. This isn't the closest she got, but it was the best picture. So this is one I picked. 
One of them, one time she said she was driving, she was driving on the road and the, the buffalo was just like in the right-hand lane, just like a car just coming. And so she didn't, of course, because she's, you know, smart, but she could have rolled down her window and like, you know, petted the buffalo on the way by. And so uh, obviously uh, this is a big animal and you should leave it alone. But of course, tourists are tourists. And so not everybody always has. And so therefore they have to put a warning sign up. So this is a warning sign I found. I know it's small print, so I'm going to read it to you. It says, warning, many visitors have been, uh, have been gored. I have a typo. <laughs> many visitors have been gored by buffalo. Buffalo can weigh 2,000 pounds and sprint at 30 miles an hour, three times faster than you can run. These animals may appear tame, but are wild, unpredictable, and dangerous. Do not approach buffalo. That's good to know, right? Like, warning well taken. I, I get it. I'll leave my window rolled up. I'll stay, I'll stay in my car. Well, the, 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 the feature you probably most think of when you think of uh, Yellowstone, if you know anything about Yellowstone, is Old Faithful. So this is Mom's picture of a geyser, the, of the Old Faithful, Old Faithful geyser uh, going up. And uh, I was learning all kinds of things about this as she's showing me features. So the same reason that this is there, there's all these hot uh, pools, thermal pools in Yellowstone that are, are super hot. And so this one is Dragon's Mouth, is that right? So this is just hot water that's steaming uh, coming out. It looks like, you know, Dragon's Mouth. And uh, so, of course, these are very dangerous. It's very hot water. And uh, so Yellowstone, thankfully, has built these boardwalks. So I think I have one of these pictures. You can see one of the boardwalks around. Yes, yeah, so you see in the distance there's a boardwalk. So here's one of these steaming hot pools. And Yellowstone built these boardwalks so that you can safely go throughout the park and explore these without fear of stepping in a pool. And again, of course, because tourists are tourists, they have to put up warning signs. Like it should be clear to us, right? But they have to put a warning sign up that, that danger is near. So here's the warning sign. Mom said she saw a lot of these. I know the print's small, so I'm gonna read it to you. It says, dangerous ground. In thermal areas, the ground may only be a thin crust above boiling hot springs or scalding mud. There's no way to guess a safe path. New hazards can bubble up overnight and some pools are acidic enough to burn through boots. More than a dozen people have been scalded to death and hundreds badly burned and scarred. Leaving the boardwalk or trail or taking pets beyond this point is unlawful and potentially fatal. Like, thank you. Good to know. Thank you for the sign, just in case I was tempted to kind of like wander out here, that, hey, danger is near. Danger is near. The purpose of, of a warning sign is to let you know there is a danger. If there, if there was no danger, if there was nothing to be afraid of, nothing to worry, there would be no need for a sign, right? But the sign tells us that danger is close at hand. If you've been with us this fall, we're preaching through the book of Hebrews, and we've seen that it's got some pretty deep theology, right? I mean, this is some deep, deep stuff. But the message in, in itself is pretty simple and pretty clear, that Jesus is better. There's nothing better in this world. Jesus is better. But the sprinkled throughout Hebrews are this series of warnings. And today we come to perhaps the strongest of those warnings in the book of Hebrews. I want to go ahead and just read you, reread you at the, uh, the middle of the passage that Wanda just read for us. In Hebrews 6, 4-6, to it says this, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. So here, here's how I want to summarize that, that warning for you today as we see this big warning sign in front of us. Some people 
look like Christians, but are not. This is the warning that Hebrews wants to make sure you're, you're aware of. Some people look like Christians, but are not. We need to know that there is a very real danger at hand. If we're not aware of this warning, of this potential mis, being misguided, of, of stepping off the path, then we, we may not be aware of it, and we may miss it. If somebody looks like a Christian, we can't always assume. And so we've got we've to have our heightened senses aware of what's going on because eternity is in the balance if we don't know of this warning. This passage is, is right up there with what, Matthew, what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, uh, which is another just startling warning to us. He says in Matthew 7, 21 and 20 to 23, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many of you will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. We've got to hear this warning. We've got to be aware of this temptation that people can look like a Christian and yet not be one. It's possible to do Christian things and hang around Christians and to even think generally positively of Jesus and yet not trust in Him, not believe in Him as your Savior. It's possible to be around Jesus, to know about Jesus, and yet not know Him personally. It's possible to be around Christians and and even know Christians and yet not be a Christian personally. Some people look like Christians and are not. So warning, be aware. Don't don't just assume that if you're around Christians, you are one. We've got to know the difference. And and I'll say that of of all the book of Hebrews, these three verses out of of Hebrews chapter 6 are potentially the most difficult to understand. And people kind of go different ways on on how to interpret these. And even in all the Bible, this one ranks up pretty pretty high as far as uh, being confusing and difficult. But one of the good rules of thumb in when you're reading the Bible and understanding what Scripture means is that we let the clear passages in Scripture help us understand the parts that are a little bit unclear. And the reason we can hold to that is that the Bible never teaches us something contradictory. It, it may seem intention, it may seem, you know, certain ones may emphasize one way or the other, but they never contradict. And so we can hold this passage up and explore the whole Bible and say, okay, what does this really say about this group of people? So if you've spent some time uh, in Hebrews, if you've read this, or even just as Wanda read it, or I just reread it, you may have already been asking some questions. So I want to kind of, as a way of explaining and, and diving into these, I want to see if I can anticipate some of the questions you may, you may come up with. It sounds like these people are Christians, and then they fall away from the Lord. So does that mean that someone can lose their salvation? Is that, is that what this verse, these verses are saying? Well, no. Again, okay, we can choose the passages that are clear to us to help us understand ones that are unclear, and it is clear in the Bible that somebody who is truly and genuinely a Christian cannot lose their salvation. Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. God started it. He's going to finish it. We can trust in that. Or Jesus says in John 10.28, I gave them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus puts you in his hand, and so he's holding you. And he's not letting go. You and I, if you are a Christian, you and I, we did not save ourselves. And so we are not ultimately the ones responsible for keeping us saved. 
I'll confess, and I hope you would with me, that if I could lose my salvation, if it was up to my strength, and if I could lose my salvation, I absolutely would. I know the wickedness of my heart to know that if I could, I could go off track here, I would. But God is the one who's holding me fast and holding firm me, holding me firm in His, in His hand and holding my salvation. So Hebrews 6 does not contradict that. And we, we can read here closely and read all the Bible and say, to try to understand who this group is. In Hebrews 6, this group, they were familiar with Jesus. They knew a lot about Jesus and they knew a lot about Christians. But it does not say they themselves were Christians. They were people who at one time participated in the Christian community. So they were probably a part uh, of a church family. But it, they never personally believed. There's nothing here that indicates they personally believed in Christ. And so they eventually walked away from that Christian community and proved that they never knew Him in the first place. It says here that they, they rejected and they, they aren't coming back. And that's something only God only God. Can know. So I want you to see what it says about them. It says four things about them. They were enlightened, so they had knowledge of God. That's a good thing. It's good to know about God. But knowing about God and having a saving relationship with Him, trusting in Him for salvation, aren't the same thing. It says they have tasted the heavenly gift. So th this could be a few different things. They, maybe they, they had seen um, uh, the, the beauty of the Christian community, the gift of that, and participated in it. Uh, or it could be a reference about tasting. It could be a reference to like manna in the Old Testament. It could be a reference to the Lord's Supper. They actually participated like a, a member uh, of the faith family. He participated in that. Uh, but tasting it is not the same thing, again, as salvation. It says they shared in the Holy Spirit. And in verse 5, they the power in the, they shared in the powers of the age to come. So they had been with the church enough to see God's Spirit move. The way that God changes lives and, and convicts people of sin and transforms sinners. They had seen that firsthand. But just seeing it doesn't mean that you are a Christian. Verse 5 again, it says, They tasted the goodness of the Word of God. So they, they were in the Bible. They had heard the Word preached. And they even enjoyed it. They thought it was good. And yet they rejected it personally. For a while they thought it was good. And then they walked away from it. So this group, they knew about the church. They participated in the church. And they, the, but, but nothing in that description says that they themselves were Christians. So, no, you cannot lose your salvation if you genuinely are a Christian. Some people look like Christians, but they're not. So then what do we do where it says, they, it says uh, it's impossible to restore them again to repentance? Does that mean that God keeps people from being saved who want to be saved? No, absolutely not. Your desire, if you have a desire to know Jesus as Savior... That desire in itself is a gift from the Lord. And that's one God loves, loves to grant. That's a desire He loves to grant. These people didn't want to be saved, so they weren't. If you want to be saved, you can be. If you want to be saved, you can be. That is a good, good gift from the Lord. So what, what happened for this group of people that he's referring to is that although they had an inside track, I mean, they were, they were right there with good teachers. They were right there with good Christians. They had seen God work in some pretty awesome ways, and yet they rejected Him. They turned their back on Him. And what's so offensive about that is it's one thing for somebody who doesn't really know Jesus to turn their back on Him and say, no, I don't want anything to do with that. But these, these, this group, they knew, him. they knew about Him. They didn't know Him personally. They knew about Him so well. They knew so many of the facts. And yet they shamed Him instead of honoring Him. That's what it says. That it's like they crucified Him again. The crucifixion, that Roman form of execution, 
was primarily about just shaming this group of people, for uh, shaming the, the criminals so that nobody wants to do that again. And to know all these things about Jesus, to see the church in motion, to see so many good things about God and then turn your back, it's like crucifying Jesus again. It's shaming Jesus instead of honoring Him. And so he says, this group of people, they're not coming back. And that's something only God can know. That's something only God can know. Most of the time it's impossible for us to know. And if we, we'd be foolish to try to play God and say, well, they're never coming back to salvation. Because we, we don't know. We don't know what, what God's doing. I said come back to salvation. You know that come back to the church and be saved for, for uh, genuinely. So that brings me to the last question. I think this is where the rubber meets the road. If you read that passage and if you're, you're thinking that through a little bit, Probably, yes, you may come up with those theological questions about, okay, can somebody lose their salvation or not? You may dive into that. But here's the question that you're going to get to eventually. Do these verses describe what's happening to fill in the blank with the person you know who was connected to the church at some point and no longer is? That, that's where the rubber meets the road. This group of people that are in, in Hebrews chapter 6, they were involved with the church community. So, some good things were happening around them, and they left, and they're not saved. And so where the rubber meets the road for, for our lives is either for, for you personally, and maybe you're here today, and that's, that's kind of your testimony. If you're away from the Lord, you're kind of seeking that out. Or for somebody you know, and you're saying, does, does my family member, does my loved one, does my whoever it is that's on your mind, is this them? That, that's where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? Because that's where our heart aches. Our heart aches for the person. I, I saw them. They were a part of the church. They were a part of all these good things. And now they're not. Now they're not. Are they saved? That's, that's, where our heart, that's what our heart's aching about. We want to know whether they're saved. Of course, we can't answer that for every single person you're thinking about, but we have some, some direction in the Bible about what this looks like. Because the hard part is there are examples of people who, who mess up, like big time, and yet prove to be Christians. Think of Peter. You couldn't get much closer to Jesus than Peter. And yet, on the, the moment that Jesus needed him most, the night of his crucifixion, what did he do? He denied Jesus three times. I mean, picture just showing up to Peter's life on that day where for the third time he says, I don't know Jesus. And if you had to answer the question, is this man saved? You'd be like, oh, man, I thought so, but now, you know what? I, I, don't, I don't know. Or take King David, a man who was described as a man after God's own heart. And what if you showed up at the moment in history where he had just given the command to his gen the general for his army, carried by a man named Uriah. So Uriah the officer carries this, this, this command out to the, the field. And the general in the field, his job is to leave Uriah out to dry so that Uriah will be killed in battle, one of David's own officers, all as a cover-up for David sleeping with Uriah's wife and getting her pregnant. If you had to show up at that moment and say, is David one of God's chosen children? Imagine showing up and trying to answer that salvation question in that moment. How, how would you do that? You, you wouldn't know. It would be very confusing. It would look very bad, right? But if you know at the end of those stories, Peter repents, David repents, and the end of the story is, is the answer to the question. These, these become great pillars in God's people of faith, not because they're perfect, but because of their repentance. But take two people who are right around those people. Take King Saul, the king right before Paul. He was even said, he was the first king of Israel, says the spirit was upon him. God, God was moving through him. And yet because of his pride, because of his arrogance, he, it, from all what we can tell, you know, again, God judges hearts, but what we can tell, he, he walked away from God. He walked away from God. 
Or take another one of the disciples who messed up the same night Peter did, Judas. Judas goes out in the dark from the Last Supper, this incredibly intimate, beautiful moment with Jesus, and yet he goes and betrays him for 30 pieces of silver. So take David at giving the order to his general. Take Peter at the third time coming off his lips. I don't know Jesus. Take King Saul as he arrogantly turns away from, from, from the Lord. And take Judas when he's got 30 pieces of silver in his hand. If, if all you knew was that moment in their life, like up to that point, which one saved you, you wouldn't be able to tell. And for so many of the people that we love and we care about, they're in that moment. They're standing at a charcoal fire and saying, I don't know Jesus. They're standing there with a bag of 30 pieces of silver in their hand after just betraying him. And we can't tell the difference. We can't tell the difference. But time will tell, won't it? Time will tell. God will be at work. If they are going to repent, they will repent. And if not, they will not. It's not up to us ultimately to decide right now. But that, that, that moment of how, how similar they look, that's the warning sign that Hebrews is putting before us. That's the big warning sign that says, be careful. If you're acting like Peter or Judas, sometimes it can look the same. So be careful. Warning. Don't stay there. Don't stay there. Because you could look like a Christian. You know what Judas did during the three years that he was following around Jesus? It never says all the disciples went out and preached the gospel and worked miracles and cast out demons except for Judas. He's never singled out. When Jesus is standing or is, is, is at the Last Supper and he says, one of you is going to betray me. You know what doesn't happen? All the disciples don't go, Judas, man, I saw that coming. I thought something was off with him. No, they all say, is it me? I, I don't know who it is. They, they couldn't tell. Some people look like Christians and yet they're not. This is a big warning sign that says, don't, don't, don't flirt with this. Don't, don't, be, don't be caught holding a bag of silver or standing there denying Jesus. Run away from that. This is the warning. It is so dangerous. Be careful. Be careful. Because eternity is in the balance. We, the only way we can be sure of our salvation is the fruit that we see in our lives. So if you're in a place or somebody you love is in a place where you don't see fruit, God knows their heart. It's not our job to judge our salvation. They're, they're somebody else's salvation. But if you don't see fruit, don't stay there. And don't let your loved ones stay there. Plead. Ask God that they would turn, that we would turn and come back to Him. If you are not currently walking with the Lord, it is so dangerous to assume that some past decision is, is going to carry you through. Because somebody who genuinely knows the Lord follows Him. He's our greatest treasure. There's nothing better in this world to follow. We don't save ourselves. God did it. But He's made Jesus our greatest treasure, so we're not going to follow other things more than we follow Him. Don't assume. Let us, let's not stay in a place of rebellion against the Lord because he, He's worth everything. He's our greatest treasure. I, I hope people who need to hear that warning, and maybe they're not here. Maybe they'll track this down later. Maybe you'll send it to them. Maybe you'll just talk to them about the Lord. But I, I pray, I've been praying for that group this week who, who look like Christians or have a, a past time where they've prayed a prayer or, they, or something. And, and so there, there's this false idea. Again, we don't know it, but if, this, if there's a group of people who have a false perception of their salvation, I've been praying that they would hear God's word and repent from walking in a lifestyle 
that doesn't look like they know Jesus because that is a dangerous place to be. It's a warning, and it's very, very serious. And Hebrews lays that out for us so that we won't miss it. But the writer actually uses that to help warn a different group of people. And that group of people, I think, may be more so in here, in this room, than the first group of people. See, the writer is warning the people who received this letter about that group of people, even though he doesn't think they're in it. He thinks the people that listen to this letter are actually saved. He says in Hebrews 6, 9, Yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. So let me ask you this. Why does he make that really scary warning about unbelief if the people he's writing to are mostly saved? Well, why, would he, why would he say, you know, be careful about unbelief if these people really believe? Well, here's the reason I think he's doing this. He calls them out, not for unbelief, but for spiritual immaturity. And some of the people that have been Christians, these people that have received this letter, they've been Christians for quite some time. And yet they still look like brand new Christians. And so he was warning them about people who look like Christians and are not, because here's the big danger. Spiritual immaturity and unbelief, sometimes you can't tell the difference between the two of them. So here's my warning for us today. I think this is what Hebrews 5 and 6 is all about. Immaturity and unbelief are too close for comfort. Immaturity and unbelief are too close for comfort. Listen to how he rebukes this group in chapter 5, verse 12. He says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. Wow. He's saying you've been a Christian long enough that you, you should be able to pass the faith on to somebody else. You should be teachers by now. And yet you're still on, on just milk. You're on baby food instead of solid food. He's warning them that these Christians, in their immaturity, there's, there's not a whole lot dividing them from a group that looks like Christians and they're not. Immaturity and unbelief are too close for comfort. We, we don't want to hang around right there. We don't want to hang around in immaturity and borderline unbelief because that is a dangerous place to be. If you are a brand new Christian, it is okay for you to look like a brand new Christian. I have said many times, you, you don't have to clean yourself up to come to Christ. He, he will do that. He loves you too much to leave you the way you are. You can come to Christ how you are, but He loves you too much to leave you that way. Over time, our lives begin to be transformed by the gospel. And so if, that, if we don't see that progression, if you don't see it in your own life, then you have to say, what, what, what's going on here? You know, he, he uses the illustration of, in the text of drinking milk and solid food. Like it's normal. We, we expect a one-month-old baby to be drinking milk. We have a couple of those, you know, in our, in our church family, right? Of course, they're only drinking milk. It's all they can take. They don't have teeth. They don't have the digestive system to take it. But, but if you're 20 years old and all you can, you can take is milk, there's something up, right? There's something going on. I, I've been thinking about this all week and noticing things that my kids do that are very normal and good at their age, <laughs> but would be very weird for an adult. Uh, we learned from Naomi Perry, who's in Micah's class, uh, that Micah made it into the hundreds club in kindergarten last week. And we didn't know anything about this. We asked him, he, he can count to 100. He's in kindergarten, he can count to 100. We're super proud of him. Great job, Micah. We, one day this week that was raining, uh, Lois didn't get to go to outside recess, so they have indoor recess. And, uh, you know, second grade 
this is what was exciting to her. She came home to tell me at indoor recess, uh, her teacher gave her an Expo marker she could write on her desk, and they haven't done multiplication tables yet, but on her own, she figured out, which was an Expo marker in her desk, that 7 times 7 is 49 and 7 times 8 is 56. Right? And, that, and that, we were like, second grade, great job. That's awesome. Let me tell you this. If, if Aaron Dyer calls me tomorrow morning, he's like, hey, man, I got something pretty cool to tell you. I'm in the hundreds club. <clears throat> I can count to 100. And, and not only that, but I know my seven times table. Like, I would think something's wrong with him. Right? I would think something's wrong with him. If you could see your spiritual maturity that way, if you could see your spiritual maturity that way, what would it look like? What would it look like? One of the, the, there's a verse framed in my office that um, y'all got for me last year. Uh, one of my all-time favorite verses, Colossians 1.20. It says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That is a, a life verse for me and a ministry key verse for me. That's my job in my own life, in my family's life, and as a, as a, as a pastor of a church to present people mature in Christ. That, that's the goal. That's our goal, to not stay in immaturity, but to press on to maturity. And when I, when I preached that passage uh, back in the summer of 2019, I used a picture. Maybe it stuck with you, but I'm going to use it again here. Uh, this is Bob. He's 52 years old. He's been a Christian for a long time, but his spiritual age is 18 months. I saw a picture like this uh, at a youth camp one summer years and years ago, and it stuck with me. Maybe because we had to fight a pacifier away from Micah, and so I just, that thing, man, I just... I see the benefit of it, right, when they're young. But when you got to get it away from a kid, it's just so hard. So it like aches me to see a grown man with a pacifier in his mouth. And so I, I, I just wonder, like, if you were on the screen, here's your, here's your biological age, here's your spiritual age, how would they match up? Or, or better yet, let me ask you this way. If you're a Christian, I want you to, I'm going to pause long enough for you to do some math here. Don't let it hurt too much, you know, but how old were you when you, when you first put your faith in Christ? If you, if you know that number, if you know that age, when you first put your faith in Christ, and you would say, this is when I became a genuine believer in Jesus Christ. If you got that number, all right, now take your current age and subtract that number. Pause, math, hard to count. Got it? All right, I had to think ahead of time. Mine was 24. That's my number. So now I want you to be honest. If that's your, your spiritual age, does your spiritual maturity match your spiritual age? And look, I'm, I'm just going to lay it before you I've, had, I've got 24 years of following Jesus. And not just that, but I've had so many opportunities. So many great Bible teachers, so many great ministries, so many great pastors that invested in me. Seminary where my full-time job, you know, like full-time like study. What do you mean I have to preach? Just study to be a better Christian, to know God's Word better. And my current job, like I spend so much time, I get paid to, to study God's Word. And yet, I, if I'm honest, I, I'm, not, I'm not happy with where I'm at. I'm not as far along as I wish I was. I, hear, I see this, this call to maturity, and I'm convicted by it. I wonder if you are. You got that number you just thought of in your head, your spiritual age. Does your spiritual maturity match your spiritual age? If you're like me, you may be frustrated that the, the progress is not as far as, as it's been, as, as you'd like for it to be. But here's what's important. Are, are you heading in the right direction? Are you progressing toward maturity? I'm, I'm so frustrated by myself. I want to speed ahead. I want to be so much further along. Or are you, are you heading in the right direction? That's important. 
because immaturity and unbelief are far too close for comfort. That is too, too close for comfort. If we're hanging out all of our lives as, as baby Christians, we, start, we have to ask this question, am I just immature or am I an unbeliever? If you've spent decades as a baby Christian, it's worth asking the question, am I immature or am I an unbeliever? If we take a look at this diagnosis in Hebrew, we may be able to better understand what, what spiritual maturity looks like. So we can take an honest evaluation of our own lives. Because Hebrews is writing to a group of Christians that he's convinced are, are Christians, but they're a little too borderline. In verse 11, he calls them dull of hearing. Literally, it says lazy. They have lazy ears. Are, are you compelled by the Word of God when you read it or when I preach it or somebody else teaches it to you? Are you compelled by it? Are you compelled by God's Word? My, my role is to give you the truth, and then that, that's, that's foundational, and then my job is to do it in an engaging way. Your job is to have engaged ears. And you may think, well, you know, it's hard to sit here. How, how long did you sit in front of a football game yesterday? How, how long, how long do, you, do you watch your news broadcast or your radio show that you really, really like listening to? We get engaged with things that matter to us. Are your ears engaged with the Word of God? We have a group of women. I wasn't going to call them out, but they're just so good. We have Wednesday night study in here, and they sit right back there, and they're taking notes as fast as they can. And a couple times I've gone through slides too fast, and they're like, whoa, whoa, go back. They're just, they're just soaking it up. Man, it makes me happy. Just soaking it up. Not, it's not my words. They're just Bible words. They're writing down Bible verses. They're engaged. Their ears are just eager. Not lazy ears. They're eager to take in the Word of God. Oh, that's awesome. I wasn't going to call them out, but I did. All right. There's another, this, this other group. It says by the time you, this group of people, you, you should be teachers. He said you ought to be teachers. And I think if there's something that, that raises a flag on our maturity, it's this. Because, man, people run from that word, don't you? Ah, being a teacher, that sounds terrifying. I think what he has in mind here is not that you're in charge of teaching a 930 uh, adult class or a kid's class, although we need teachers, so if you want to sign up, let me know, you know. But what he's saying is every single disciple should be making disciples. Jesus spent three years with a small group of people, sharing all his life with them, and he said, now go and do that for other people. The way you know somebody's really a disciple is if they make disciples. Are you making disciples? Are you passing along the faith? And he connects that to what he, what he calls them out by being, saying they are unskilled in the Word. They are unskilled in the Word. Immaturity in the faith is being unskilled in the Word of God. Listen, if you're a new believer and, and, and you're, not, you're just kind of new to Christianity, this is an intimidating book. I get it. It's old. And it's, it's complex and there's lots of bits and pieces to it that are hard to understand. Okay, But, it, but kids can get it, at least in part. Like We can start somewhere. And so if you're new, I understand it's hard. But if you've been doing this for a few years, if you've been a Christian for a while, a couple decades, like, we should start getting skilled in this. And you say, I know, but it's just really hard to read. You know what else is hard? Your job is hard. The skill set you have to do your work, I probably can't do. You probably do something I can't do. You, you probably have some kind of hobbies. Maybe you've got a hobby that was hard or be new. If you were new at golf or something, that looks so hard. I have no idea how people play golf. The ball's like this big, you know? You, you've got, you know what's hard? Cooking while you got three kids running around the house and getting all the food warm at the same time. That's really hard. You know, it's hard changing a diaper if you've never done it. We do all kinds of hard things. And yet, so many times, as immature Christians, we say, this one's too hard. I'm not going to be skilled in this. It's too hard. Don't let yourself off the hook. This is God's Word. It is, if, it, if it takes 
just one day at a time, one day at a time. John Pepper's, one of his favorite phrases is, many chops fell a huge tree. Many chops fell a huge tree. Five, Hebrews 5.14 says, talks about constant practice, just one day at a time, one day at a time. And when that happens, he actually calls this the word of righteousness. If you're constantly being skilled in the word of God, it's not just head knowledge, it changes the way you live. You actually live, di- <laughs> excuse me, live differently because your powers of discernment over good and evil get better and better. We can tell the difference between right and wrong the more time we spend in God's word. And as Christians, yes, of course we struggle, but we get better and better. You know what? Young kids, they have a hard time obeying their parents. They do. You're just born with that. But you get better at it over time. You get better at it. As sons and daughters of God, it's a sign of spiritual maturity that we, that we love our Father, and we actually trust that what He says really is best for us, and we begin to obey it. We begin to follow what He calls us to do. The maturing Christian is learning to trust that God's way really is better, and our lives begin to be transformed. The danger that I see so many times with, with people who, who claim to be Christians is say, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian, but I haven't submitted this one area of my life to the Lord. And if you're new, of course that's going to happen. God's going to clean you up, and it's going to take some time. But the danger is that if somebody's been walking with God for a long time, and yet they're still spiritually immature in whatever the area is, take the way that the words they use out of their mouth, the way they handle their finances, sexual temptation, how they love their spouse or their kids or an addiction or a habit or any number of things. It's normal for that stuff to take time, but it shouldn't take forever. We've got to submit all of our lives to Him. Hebrews 5 and 6 is the, is the loving pastoral way of saying, you're, you're too old for this. You're, you're 20 years old and you're carrying around a pacifier. You, you, you're, you're a mature, you should be a mature Christian, and yet you're still holding on to something that's not okay. There are so many things that are hard in life, but if we treasure what's great, we'll follow in obedience. And here's why that's so important. Spiritual, keeping a life that's spiritually immature is so dangerous, so dangerous. And so he warns us that immaturity and unbelief are too close for comfort. Too close for comfort. I'm going to show you one diagram, and I'm going to wrap up here. Here's what I keep having in mind as I've said that all week. If, you are, if somebody is an unbeliever and they're drawn toward Christ, at some point they have to cross over that line of salvation, right? You cross over and you say, and we've said, once God saved you, He's never letting you go. So you can be sure you're not going back on the other side of that line. But if, if you're hanging out in that spiritually immature side right next to that line, you have to wonder, did I, did I ever really cross the line? Because at some point, it, maybe you deceived yourself and you weren't quite up to the line. Or maybe you're, you know, I, I don't want to hang around near that line at all. I want God to sanctify me and move me, progress me in maturity so that I'm nowhere close to that line. Unmaturity, immaturity and unbelief are far too close for comfort. Chapter 6, verse 1 says this, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity. Go on. Grow up. Leave some things behind. Follow in obedience. Be a person passionate for the Lord. Confess sin. Be humble enough to say, I don't have it all together. I'm not as mature as I want to be. And I need God to grow me. And that's the beauty. One of the, the nuggets of gold I found in this passage is that verse, chapter 6, verse 1 in the ESV says, go on to maturity. But the NIV, uh, it says, let us be taken forward to maturity. And so I went back to check the original because that sounded a little different. 
And the word is it's, it's something not that we do. It's something that happens to us. The word is be carried along. Be carried along to maturity. You know how you, you become a mature Christian? God carries you there. You submit your life to God. You submit everything to Him and say, I need you. I need you to carry me along to maturity. Yes, we press. Yes, we, we work. Yes, we give it everything we've got. But God's the one that gives the growth. God's the one that works in our lives to bring us along to maturity. And when we do, our lives will show fruit. Christians are known by their fruit. Christians are known by their fruit. Verses 7 and 8 describe this field. He says, uh, For the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop, a crop useful for those who forsake is, for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to be cursed, and its end is to be burned. We'll know a Christian. So that's what Jesus is like. You, you'll know uh, you'll know a tree by its fruit. You'll know a Christian by its fruit. Is your life producing, growing in maturity, growing in Christ-likeness, growing in obedience? It, not perfect, not perfect, but heading in the right direction. That's how you know and you can be sure of your faith. He talks about uh, a number of their number of their fruits, their 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 love. They're not being lazy, but they're they're patient. They're patient. I think that word there is, is getting at this idea of endurance. And that's always an idea that's fascinated me. Because I, I, a few years ago, I got into kind of these endurance-type races. And, you know, it started with like a 5K or 10K type thing. But I love watching. Loved, I'm fascinated by the half marathon, the marathon. I like the idea. Aaron and I did a, a triathlon to get together last year. And the, the kind of the pinnacle of that world, if you know that world, is the Ironman triathlon. Are you familiar with that race? The World Championship's out in Hawaii, but they happen all over now. Crazy long race, right? Swimming 2.4 miles, biking 112 miles, and then run a marathon, 26.2 miles. Amber shouldn't ask me why I know those numbers so exactly, okay? I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. But the world record for that race, seven hours and 40 minutes. That's the world record. Like the best of the best race for almost eight hours. The time limit is about 17 like as long as you finish this race in 17 hours, you're good. But if you finish that race, you know what you get to do? You get to say, I'm an Ironman. I did an Ironman triathlon. How cool would that be, right? I, I think Aaron said that's tattoo worthy. Like to say, I am an Ironman. You're in a race that is far more important than any triathlon in the world. You're in the race of Christian faith and Christian obedience. And the world around is tempting you to step off the path, to go one way or the other, to, to not submit your life to Christ. And if you are living in that temptation, you're, you're either immature or, or, or an unbeliever, and you're near that line. And if that's where you are today, submit your life. Give it over to Him. Say, I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to run this race with endurance. I'm going to press on to maturity. And for all of us, all of us. Get rid of the pacifier. Let it all, let, let, let those things go. All of us have room to grow. Press on in faith because immaturity and unbelief, they're just too close for comfort. 